Chapter 29. From the Dark to Cemetery Girl. Date, Monday, October 7th, 2.15pm. Have you ever read Youth and Age by Lord Byron? It's the worst poem in the world. It's all about the decay of death. My mother read it at my sister's funeral. I wanted to rip it out of her hands. I mean, who reads something like that at a funeral? I would have preferred a passage from the Bible, and if you know me, that's saying something. We read the poem in English this morning. Well, I didn't read it. I walked out. So I can relate it to your near miss with the detention. You asked if anyone else knows the truth about what happened with my family. My best friend knows most of it. I don't think he knows how long it all went on. But that doesn't really matter now, does it? I appreciate all the vehemence on my behalf. But you're wrong. It might not have been all my fault, but some of it was. It's absolutely killing me that I don't know who he is. I take AP English, but we're not reading Byron, so that only eliminates about 15 guys. I try to think of who in senior class could use a word like vehemence and still be defiant enough to walk out of class. The obvious answer is right in front of me. I could just ask him, but that would mean ending this. I don't know if I'm ready for that. Maybe the mystery is part of what's so attractive about him. Maybe I'd meet him and he'd be horrible. He wouldn't me, I just know. But still, he said that, He said once that mum probably wouldn't like him much, but he's wrong about that. I think she'd like him a whole lot. She'd find him fascinating. I find him fascinating. Mr Girardi has a group of students at his desk when I find him after the final bell. I linger in the back of the classroom, looking at the photographs stapled to the wall. These must be from the beginner photography elective, because I remember the assignment. The photographs are all simple shots of nature, but a few stand out with the creative use of light. One in particular, a shot of an ant crawling through grains of sugar on wood, catches my eye. I love the composition, with a torn open sugar packet blurred in the background. I love that one too, says Miss Girardi behind me. I hope she sticks with it. Freshman, I ask. Junior. She was trying to fill in an elective and discovered she has a flair for it. He pauses and I keep my eyes on the photograph exhibit. I don't want to look at him because I'm still so uncertain about what I'm doing here. He speaks to my shoulder. Did you want to see the photo I had in mind for the yearbook cover up? Being here after staying away for so long feels like I'm somehow betraying my mother's memory. But curiosity keeps driving me forward. I wet my lips. Sure. He turns, leaving to follow me, me to follow him, and I do. At his desk, he turns the monitor around so I can see. I stop breathing. There on the screen was the first photograph I took on Thursday. Declan and Rev sitting on the quad on one side, the cheerleaders practicing a routine on the other. I knew, somewhere inside me, I knew it would be this one. I love it, Miss Strategy says in a rush. I think it will make a perfect cover because of the negative space in between. 
materially to symbolize school and spirit and togetherness, and that half of the photo could be on the front, while the boys could be on the back, symbolic of friendship, of the isolation everyone feels in high school. I don't know. My voice comes out as a croak. You don't know? I'll have to ask them. The girls, do you know them? Parents sign a disclaimer at the beginning of the year. We don't need individual permission for sharebook shots. No. My voice cracks again. Rev said I didn't need to delete the photograph, but that doesn't mean he'd be okay with it splashed across the cover of the yearbook for our graduating year. I have no idea how many yearbooks are produced for an annual basis. There are probably over 800 graduating seniors alone. No, the boys. Okay, he sounds puzzled. Do you think it would be a problem? I keep thinking of my conversations with the dark about our roads and life and where they're predestined. Fate seems determined to send me careening through the paths of Declan Murphy and Rev Fletcher. I don't... I have no idea. Miss Girardi hesitates. Is there something you're not telling me? His words are guarded and it pulls my attention off the screen. What? This seems like it's a big deal. I'm trying to figure out why. I just... I want to make sure it's okay. He studies me. Do you want me to ask them? I let that scenario play out in my head. A strange teacher asking if a photo they didn't want to be taken could be used as a cover for the yearbook. I imagine Declan's reaction after the way he acted Thursday afternoon. No, I say quickly. I'll ask. He gives me an encouraging look. And then you'll edit the photo yourself? Later this... Yeah, sure. I suddenly need to get out of here. Later this week, okay? I don't even wait for an answer. I flee the room like a bomb. It's counting down. The parking lot is only half full by the time I make it out of school. The only cars left are students with sport or club obligations, of which I have none. Oh, and Reb and Declan. They're standing behind Declan's car, which is exactly as I remember. It only in more need of a paint job now that I'm looking at it in the sunlight. The leaning on the tailgate and Declan had a cigarette between his fingers. I stop until a small copse of trees in the middle, under a small copse of trees in the middle of the parking lot. I didn't anticipate seeing them right now, but I'm not surprised that they're still here, just like they were still here last Thursday when I took the picture in question. I have to walk past them to get to my car, and the look in Declan's eyes remind me of his temper, so different from his attitude when he approached me in the cafeteria this morning. Hey, I wanted to ask you something. What? Stalker much? Declan calls. But his voice isn't cruel. Is he teasing? I sheepishly step out from under the tree, but stop in the middle of the parking lot, about 15 feet away from them. I didn't want to get in the middle of... Whatever. Whatever. Declan takes a drag on a cigarette. We're killing time. You know, you're not allowed to smoke on school property. He takes another drag and blows smoke rings. You seem awfully concerned about my smoking habit. I hate it. It's disgusting. The words are out of my mouth before I really consider them, and I brace myself for him to launch into nastiness or to flick the cigarette at me. He doesn't... Neither... If anything, he looks startled and he tosses it to the ground and stops it out. Sorry, I didn't know. 
You could sprout wings and I'd be less shocked right now. I mock gas to recover my surprise. But however will you maintain your badass facade? I'll manage. Rev does a slow clap and bows his head in my direction. Thank you, I hate them too. Declan shoots him a glare. Shut up, Rev. His eyes turn to me and I give he gives me a look up and down. Is it afraid of me? No. And why are you standing away over there? I don't know what if that's an invitation to join them or what, but I take a few steps closer. Why are you killing time? Declan shrugs and leans back against his car. There are maybe three places I'm allowed to be. This one isn't within shouting distance of my stepfather. I can't stop looking at him, and it's almost to the point where I can't even listen to what he's saying. He looks good in the sunlight because it brings out red in his hair and brightens his face no matter what expression he's wearing. I could study him all day and not get bored. And here I thought you were posing with your vintage Mustang. Dacton's face goes still, and I can tell I've said the wrong things. Rav lets out a slow, low whistle. Those are fighting words. This is not a Mustang, Declan says. He sounds more offended about the car than he did about the cigarette. Okay, then what is it? It's a Dodge Charger, he snorts. I don't know why I'm surprised. They all look the same to me. He points across the parking lot on my late model Honda. That doesn't look like this, he jerks a thumb at his own car. Any more than those two cars look alike. He points at two cars across the row, one a minivan, one a four-door sedan, if you say so. He pulls his phone out of his pocket and unlocks it. Here, I'll show you what a Mustang looks like. Rav grabs my phone. The phone. No, we're not starting this. Then he looks at the screen and must notice the time, because he says, we have to go anyway. I take another step forward. Where are you going? I don't know what made me ask, but I know I don't want him to leave. Like, every time life throws us together, this moment seems destined to end before I'm ready. Rav exchanges a glance with Declan, then smiles at me from under his hood. Babysitting. Want to come? For baby doll? He nods. Scared? Taunts Declan. His eyes challenging. Not at all. I lie. Let's go. Rev's house is the mirror image of Rowan's, a modified split level with a sprawling lower half and a long stretch of grass leading to the street. His house features blue sliding with white trim instead of beige siding with brown trim, but it's on a pretty generic middle-class neighbourhood. I could walk into half the homes on this street and know my way around. Nothing about his house is surprising. No. What throws me for a loop is that I see his mother and realise Rev must be adopted. Facts about Rev click into place in rapid succession, like my brain needs to connect all the dots before I'll be coherent. Declan said something about Rev being taken away from his father. I just hadn't played that out all the way. Rev said his mother would be working for the afternoon, and this, combined with the knowledge that she's an accountant, had me imagining someone hurried and wearing a pencil skirt. Not a woman with crop, short, short cropped hair and voluptuous curves dressed in flower speckled red shirt and jeans. She has a bright, welcoming smile, radiating so much warmth that I feel lucky to be invited inside. She whispers hello and embraces each of us like we've been coming here after school for years. It's kind of weird, but 
also kind of nice to be welcomed so openly. She smells like vanilla and sugar and baby powder. When she gets to me, she whispers, It's so nice to meet you. Call me Kristen. And ushers me into the house. I'm confused by all the whispering, but I whisper back, being feeling foolish. Hi, I'm Juliet. Jacqueline leans closer enough to speak low. The baby must be sleeping. Oh, his breath brushes against my ear and heat flares my cheek. I'll be quiet, I say. Nonsense, whispers Kristen. Just go downstairs if you're going to make any noise. She presses a baby monitor into Rev's hand. I'll bring some cookies down, but then I need to go into my office. Thanks, Mum. He glances at me and his voice is dry. Want to come downstairs and make some noise? I know he's teasing. My cheeks practically catch on fire because it sounds suggestive. Kristen spots him. Go on downstairs, you. I have work to do. It's so normal, so unassuming. My mother was never like this. She wasn't around enough to see my friends come over all that often. Regret seeps into my chest, but the boys are going down the steps, leaving me to follow. The lower level is covered by hardwood floors and the entire space is wide open. One corner has a television mounted on the wall and a sectional sofa. Another corner has two doors that probably lead to a laundry room and a bathroom. The third corner has colourful mats, a play chalkboard and boxes of toys stacked neatly along the wall. The final corner, half enclosed by the stairs, has thick black mats on the floor, a weight bench and some kind of punching bag suspended from the ceiling. Free weights sit racked along the wall under a row of mirrors. Rav glances at Declan and some kind of unspoken messages pass between them, but I can't identify it before he looks back at me. Do you want something to drink? I inhale to answer, but my throat catches. Being in the presence of a loving mother reminds me of how much I've lost. My brain locks up as grief tangles up the gears inside my head. I should be at the cemetery. I haven't visited her in days, not since I ran from the dance. And now I'm, what, hiding? Yes, I'm hiding, hiding behind their normalcy, their lack of sorrow. They're not even my friends. Guilt punches me in the chest, hard. I feel myself caving in from the force of it. What should I, would I tell her? Sorry, mum, I was intrigued by a boy. Kristen comes down the stairs and the pressure on my chest snaps. I take a moment to turn away, inhaling deeply, blinking away tears. She sets a plate on the table behind the couch and half tiptoes back up the stairs. Thank God. I don't think I could have handled maternal attention right this second. My body feels like it's on a hair trigger. I need to get it together. This is why people avoid me. Someone asks me if I want a drink and I have a panic attack. You're okay. Declan is beside me, and his voice is low and soft, the way it was in the foyer. He's so hard all the time, and that softness takes me by surprise. I blink up at him. You're okay, he says again. I like that he's how he's so sure, sure, not, are you okay? No question about it. You're okay. He lifts one shoulder in a half shrug. But if you're going to lose it, this is a pretty safe place to fall apart. He takes two cookies from the plate, then holds one out to me. Here, eat your feelings. I'm about to turn him down, but then I look at the cookie. I was expecting something basic like sugar or chocolate chip. This looks like a miniature pie and sugar glistens across the top. 
What is that? Pecan pie cookies, says Rev. He's taken about five of them, and I think he might have shoved two in his mouth at once. I could live on them for days. I take the one Declan offered and nibble it a bit from the side. It is awesome. I peer at him, up at him sideways. How do you know? He hesitates, but he doesn't ask me what I mean. I know the signs. I'm going to get some sodas, Rev says slowly, deliberately. I'm going to bring you one. Blink once if that is okay. I smile, but it feels watery around the edges. He's teasing me, but it's gentle teasing, friendly. I blink once. This is okay. I'm okay. Declan was right. Take it out on the punching bag, calls Rev. That's what I do. My eyes go wide. Really? Do whatever you want, says Declan. As soon as we do anything meaningful, the baby will wake up. Rev returns with three sodas. We're doing something meaningful right now. We are, I say. He meets my eyes. Every moment is meaningful. The words could be cheesy. Should be cheesy. In fact, but he says them with enough weight that I know he means them. I think of the dark and all our talk of paths and loss and guilt. Declan sighs and pops the can on a soda. This is where Rev starts to freak people out. No, I say, feeling like this afternoon could not be more surreal. Something about Rev's statement steals from some of my earlier guilt to think that being here could carry as much weight as paying respects to my mother. I wish I knew how to tell whether this is a path I'm supposed to be on. No, I like it. Can I really punch the bag? Rev shrugs and takes a sip of a soda. It's either that or we can break out the Play-Doh. We head to the corner of the basement. Rev straddles the weight bench and sits down while Declan sits on a yoga ball and leans against the corner. They fall into these positions so easily that I wonder if this is their space. The way Rowan and I claim her room or the plush couch in my basement. I'm not a violent person, but hearing something sounds really good. I draw back a hand and swing, throwing my whole body into it. Ow. Ow. The bag swings slightly, but shock reverberates down my arm. I think I've dislocated every joint on my every finger, but I can feel it, and it's the first thing I've truly felt in weeks. It feels fantastic. I need one of these in my basement. I grip my teeth and pull back my arm to do it again. Whoa. A hand catches my arm in mid-swing. I'm standing there, gasping, and Declan is holding, has a hold on my of my elbow. His eyebrows are way up. So, yeah, he says, I don't want to be sexist here, but after the way you talk about cars, I didn't expect you to throw a punch like that. I draw back and straighten, feeling foolish. Sorry. What are you apologizing for? He looks at me like I'm crazy. I just don't want you to break your... You, I don't want to watch you break a wrist. Here. Rev half stands, holding out a pair of black padded gloves. He's pushed back the hood of his sweatshirt, and I wonder if he's grown more comfortable around me, or if he's just warm. If you really want to be on it, put on the gloves. The baby monitor squawks, and he straightens. She's up. I'll be back in a few. Once he's gone, the basement falls completely silent, and Declan and I are alone. I'm left holding a pair of gloves, feeling a little silly, a little embarrassed, and a little badass. 
You going to put them on or what? His voice is as edged and challenging as ever. It takes me a second to figure out the Velcro straps at the wrist, but I quickly slide them over my fingers. They're like a cross between boxing gloves and fingerless mitts, mittens with thick padding around the hand. If I think about this too hard, I'm going to bolt out the front door, so I close my eyes and swing. I feel the shock again, but I'm glad for the gloves. My big finger bones don't feel like they're splintering into my skin, and the straps keep my wrist stable. I strike harder, harder again and again. The shock travels through my body, a warmth that settles in my belly. I lose count. Open your eyes. I open them, and he's right there, holding the bag from behind so it doesn't swing. I wonder how long he's been there. Get closer, he says. I shift closer, staring up into his blue eyes. Closer, he says again. I move close enough to hug the bag. I'm breathless, but I don't think it's entirely from the exertion. Close enough, I say softly. His eyes steady mine. You don't want to reach for it. I want to be coy, but my voice comes out serious. Am I stronger than you thought I was? You're exactly as strong as I thought you were. The words carry more weight than they should, and I'm not entirely sure why. Maybe every moment is meaningful, but this one feels more so. I bounce on the balls of my feet and tap the bag like I'm Muhammad Ali or something, but I probably look ridiculous. He inclines his head. Go ahead, hit it. I throw another punch, but now my eyes are locked on his. I don't hit anywhere near as hard. I feel so torn, like being attracted to him is some kind of betrayal to the dark. And yet, I can't help myself. Declan is prickly and explosive and sharp, but buried deep below all that is a boy who's caring and protective and loyal. I want to see more of that side of him. His cell phone rings and he jerks it out of his pocket. After a glance at the screen, his expression darkens and he shoves it back in his pocket. My stepfather, he says, when he sees my questioning glance. You don't have to answer it. I'll tell him my ringer, I had my ringer off. His phone rings again almost immediately. He doesn't even bother to take it out of his pocket this time. He'll give up eventually, he says. I remember meeting his stepfather in the street. The way the man provoked Dylan. Though Dylan... Th- sorry, not Dylan. I remember meeting his stop- stepfather in the street. The way the man provoked Declan, though Declan sure provoked him right back. You don't get along, he snorts. Have you ever heard of male animals in the wild killing the existing offsprings off a new mate? Adam would probably be okay with that. His phone rings again, sounding insistent. He must really want to talk to you, I say. Declan actually does turn the ring off now. We stand there in silence for a moment, breathing at each other. Were you looking at me? Were you looking for me? He says, when you came out of school. His quiet voice is rich and full and gentle, revealing nothing of his temper. Something about it is so reassuring. Maybe because I've seen the fierceness on the other side of it. I want to put my forehead against the bag and close my eyes and beg him to talk to me for five minutes. I look at the bag and throw a solid punch, just to give myself a moment to figure out how to answer you remember that picture I took of you and Rev? The one I should have asked you to delete. I stop and look at him. Are you making fun of me? No. 
His expression is penitent. You were right. I should have asked first. Oh, I remind myself to breathe. Another punch. Rev said I didn't have to delete it. Oh, he did? I hesitate and look at him over the gloves. Some of my hairs have co- has come loose and it hangs in my eyes. Yeah, he did. So, what did you do with it? I have to hit the bag again. Miss Girardi wants to use it for the cover of the yearbook. No, seriously. I am serious. I hesitate. He seems really excited about it. I told him I wanted to ask you if it would be okay. Declan looks incredulous and not in a good way. Quiet and gentle is gone. He wants to put a picture of me and Rev on the cover of the yearbook. Well, sort of. You'd be on the back. His expression darkens as I babble, but I can't stop. I'm rambling, trying to get in front of Declan's temper before the train leaves the station. It's a wrap so the cheerleaders would be on the front and it would stretch around the spine to show the friendship, yet isolation of... Are you insane? The words grind out in a growl. His eyes are fierce. I have to force myself to keep from shrinking back. I don't know what you're so upset about. I don't belong on that cover. I don't need an internal reminder of this year, and I sure as hell don't need it wrapped around the yearbook for everyone else. He hits the bag so hard that it bounces off my gloves, but I refuse to step away. This is the worst year of my life. Do you understand? The bag is swinging now, and I use its momentum to slam it right back at him. How do you think I feel? My voice breaks, and I don't care. I'm the one who took the picture. He freezes, catching the bag. My breathing is loud in the silence, and I can't figure out his expression. Still furious, but there's something else. Shock. Shame. Regret, maybe. I can't take it. What? My words are fractured. Hot tears sit on my cheeks. You think you're the only one having a horrible year. You don't know anything about me, Declan Murphy. Get over yourself. Hey, Deck. Rev jogs down the basement. Steps, carrying the baby in a cordless phone. His voice sounds urgent, more than a plea for us to stop arguing. It's Alan. I take a second to swipe my the tears from my cheeks. Declan takes the phone and puts it to his ear. What? After a moment, his expression goes still. What happened? Another pause. I'll be right there. Another pause, shorter this time. I don't care, Alan. I'm coming. Then he pushes the button to turn the phone off. His eyes return to mine, and any hint of kindness or empathy has vanished. Do what you want, Julia. I don't care. Then he fishes his keys from his pocket and turns away. What happened? Says Deck. Says Rev. Deck, stop. Where are you going? The hospital. Mum collapsed while she was making dinner. Alan called an ambulance. He doesn't wait, just heads up the stairs. Wait, Rev says. Deck, wait. Let me get Mum. I'll come with you. I can't wait. Now I can hear it. The fear in his voice. I remember it well. He's through the door. Give me the baby, I say to Rev. Go, go with him.